This is our second message in the series that we are going through uh, called Towards the Goal, God's Glory in the Life of the Believer. And last week we looked at um, our first message, which was called Our Greatest Gain, Our Gaining Jesus Christ Through Our Lives through faith. That's where everything starts. And you've heard testimony after testimony of that this morning. Those who've taken a step of faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of their sin and putting their faith and trust in him alone. And now, like that's where everything starts. And now, loved ones, we move into our second message of this series, which is now allowing us to embrace our purpose. It's called Embracing My Purpose, our study through Philippians 3, and now we are on verses 12 to 14. And if you do not have a copy of God's word with you this morning, please raise up your hand. We want to put a Bible in front of you so that you can continue to track along with us this morning. And so uh, please raise them up really high and our ushers are coming forward. They're going to put one in your hand. And if you don't have a copy of God's word at home, take that as our gift to you so that you can continue to study at home as well as the Lord leads. Well, I have a question before we dive into today, and it is this. It's not a small one by any stretch, but uh, loved ones, what is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your life? I mean, why are you here? What, why am I here? I mean, can you... Can you honestly say the answer to that question? Can you honestly say the answer to that question? You know, I know exactly why I'm here. And if you can, uh, a question, how do you know you're right? How do you know you're right? You see, this is one of the biggest questions that philosophers have wrestled with over the centuries and the one which we struggle with the most today. There are literally billions of people struggling and lost right now because this question remains unanswered in their lives and they are trying desperately to find the answer in ways that will never lead them there. Through work, through pleasure, through entertainment. If I just have my time, if I just can get more stuff, I just reach that next level. They're trying desperately to find it. And why won't it lead them there? The truth is this. There is only one right answer to that question. And it's only found in one place. That's why those other things can never lead you there. You can try. They won't lead you there. And here in this text, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, gives the two life-changing truths that come from how this answer to this question changes how we live out or embrace the only purpose that we were intended to have. Let's look at Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. Straining towards the goal. Paul says this, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, here's the truth we see first here from verse 12. When you embrace your true purpose, when you and I embrace our true purpose, you will pursue Christ's image. 
You will pursue Christ's image. Look at verse 12. Paul says this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. The this there that Paul is talking of, he's speaking of perfect sanctification in Jesus Christ. Complete sanctification in Jesus Christ as being the sole purpose for his life and subsequently for the life of all believers. Now that's a big theological term, sanctification. What does that even mean? Well, you see a very broken down definition from John Piper. I like it. I like how he puts it so simply on the screen. It says this, sanctification is the gradual process of our becoming holy. Sanctification, notice that it's a gradual, not already obtained it, It's a gradual process of our becoming holy, taking on the image of Jesus Christ. Now, if we could do some kingdom mathematics here for a moment, it would be this. Complete or perfect sanctification equals complete or perfect Christ-likeness. If I'm perfectly sanctified, I'm perfectly like Christ. Okay? Kingdom mathematics. Complete sanctification equals complete Christ likeness, having the image of God completed in us with no sin. Okay, straw poll, just to get an idea of where everybody's at. How many of us are there today? Like, seriously, not a trick question. How many of us are there today? Okay, great. We're all on the same page. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. See, Paul wants the church in Philippi to know this he's not a perfect Christian. The people you saw in the baptism tank here this morning, a lot of people, you know, I'm so surprised when I do baptism reviews. I say, why are you baptized soon? And they're like, well, I thought I had to be perfect. I thought I had to have all my ducks in a row and my sin at a certain level. No. And Paul's like, I'm not a perfect Christian and I don't want to give him the idea that I'm no longer a sinner. Instead, notice what he shows here in verse 12. He shows his holy dissatisfaction in where he is in his walk with the Lord as his sinful flesh waged war against Christ's image being developed in him. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He shows the dissatisfaction. I want to get there. I'm not there. Any of you you fall into that same thing? Like me? Like me? You're like, I don't want to do this, but I keep doing it. Right? Romans 7. I don't want to do this. I do the things I don't want to do and the things I do want to do, I don't do. And... But look what he does. I love this follow-up. Look at verse 12. Not that that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Here it is. But I press on. That's a word for people here today. Press on, loved ones. It's hard. Press on. Press on in the power of the Spirit. I press on to make it my own. I press on to make it my own. That word press on there, you see the imagery that Paul's using here? It means to move swiftly to reach the goal. I'm not delaying it. I'm not putting it off. Well, when I get around to it, I'll live for Jesus. And when I do that, I'm not delaying it. I'm not procrastinating it. And it's the picture here, the word press on is the picture here of a sprinter. You'll see on the screen, straining with energy, passion, and aggressive action towards the goal. Straining, I press on. What a picture. See, Paul is pursuing sanctification into the image of Christ with all of the energy, passion, and strength that the Lord gave him to do so. Just like these sprinters have no doubt trained for years to get to this moment in the Olympics right here, Paul is like, I'm all in so I can go all out in the power of the Spirit. Look at 
I love it. I press on to make it my own. There is no cost too high and no greater pursuit that he could ever have. And for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, and here's why, he tells us in the very last part of the verse, not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Here it is. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's the gospel. Boom. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul states that because of receiving what Christ has done for him in granting him salvation by coming to earth and dying on the cross for his sins, he can now go hard in the Lord's strength to pursue the image of Christ in his life by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of him. Because Christ Jesus had made him his own. That's the glorious truth of the gospel the freedom and power we have in Jesus Christ. This was heard in every single testimony that we heard today. I'm publicly declaring my faith in him to go all out for him, straining forward to what lies ahead. Baptism's not the final destination. Baptism's a public declaration of however long God sees fit to have me here, I'm running the race. I'm pressing on to make him my own. Love it. But I want to quantify that with this. We need to be clear about something. Paul is not working. You see that picture of the strain? It gets so easy to strain, strain, strain. But he's not working for his salvation. He's not working for his salvation. His good works, the amount of straining that he does, we talked about this last week, it's not going to earn him favor with God. It's not going to save him. Those things can't. It's through Christ alone. But what he's saying here is he's now working out his salvation. He's not working for his salvation. He's working out his salvation by the strength that God provided. And in essence, what Paul's saying here, he says, I'm not where I was. I haven't already obtained it. I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I want to be. This struggle with sin is still real. And sometimes we think we got to come to church and cover up like the fact that we don't sin anymore. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. My life's falling apart, but I'm great. And like we got to try to be this perfect picture. Well, Paul debunks all of that right here. He goes, I'm not, I'm not where I was, but I'm not where I want to be. The battle is still fierce. I haven't attained it yet, but by God's grace, I'm pressing on into the image of Christ. And this same, loved ones, this same holy dissatisfaction, this tension in where we are in our pursuit of Christ is absolutely crucial in our lives. Why? Here, 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 here. Here's why. Eyes up here. Because you will only continue to pursue something when you're not satisfied with how much of it you have. You and I will only to continue to pursue something when we're not satisfied with how much of it we have. And that includes in our walk with Christ. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in his book, Weight of Glory. I commend that book to you. He puts it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires of him not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy, did you get that? Infinite joy is offered to us 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Is that you here today? Is that me? Yeah, I've got enough Jesus on Sunday and then I'll just put him, put him away for the rest of it. I got, eh, I don't need to be in God's word because I got my fill. Eh, I'd rather pursue this, this mud pie, this mud pie. We are far too easily pleased. And so how about you? How about me? What is the greatest pursuit you are pressing on towards right now? What's your greatest pursuit? What is the purpose that you believe you need to be embracing right now? Maybe for some of us, and these are good things in and of themselves, but they're not the thing. Maybe for some of us, it's the job or success. If I just get to the next rung on the corporate ladder, things are going to go really well. And then I'll have more time for Jesus. If I just get and do what I want to do when I want to do it, then I'll get more of Jesus when I'm done that. And so when I reach this point, I'll have more of him. Job, success. What about this? Our kids. If I just, if I just have kids... Then I'll be able to have more of Jesus. Then I'll devote more of myself to Jesus Christ. Or my kids, if they just get in a certain school, if they just have a certain GPA, if they just hang out with the certain people, and if they're in all the activities, then I'll put Jesus first in their lives too. What about getting a spouse? If I just get married, then I'll pursue, then I'll pursue Jesus Christ. If I just get married, maybe it's our health. If I just get to a certain fitness level, then... Then I'll be able to have more time. But I've got to spend all this time training, 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 training. But here's the reality, loved ones. Stuck with me this week. You know, the greatest thing, parents, the greatest thing that your children need. Spouses, the greatest thing that your spouse needs from you, the greatest thing that your employer needs from you, the greatest thing students that your classmates needs from you, it's not your GPA. It's not for you to have a certain fitness level or to have a certain number of kids. It is your personal holiness in Jesus Christ. That is the greatest thing that they need. Fathers, if we drop the ball on that, we drop the ball. I hold myself in that. That's the greatest thing they need because that's where everything else outflows from. And you say, well, wait, I, I want that. I want that. How do I press on and pursue Jesus Christ? How do I, how do I pursue him passionately in this? Well, here, here's four quick things. Four quick things. This isn't rocket science. Four quick things God lays out in his word. Number one, through his word. Through his word. We press on to know Jesus Christ and take on his image through his word. John 17, 17 says this. Jesus prays to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Why? Because your word is truth. The word sanctifies our soul. Changes us into more of his image. It is living and active. It is not just a book on a shelf. It is inspired, the inerrant word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is living and active. And when we get in front of it, it gets inside of us, and we become living and active by the power of the Holy Spirit. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. Donald Whitney said this. He said, little, 
Little input of God's word results in little resemblance of God's son. Because the word sanctifies. It is the truth. Number one, first way to pursue the image of Christ in our life through his word. Number two, through prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Why is prayer a means to gaining more of Christ and pursuing his image in our lives? Because prayer is a declaration of our dependence on God. And prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from him. Don't need you. I got it. Pray without ceasing. And how often can we get before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, more of you and less of me. Now. God's like, now I can work. More of you, less of me, humbling ourselves under him. Four ways we pursue Jesus Christ and gain Christ in our lives. Number one, through his word. Number two, through prayer. Here's a huge one. Number three, uh, through the church. Through the church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us not forsake meeting together. That means don't stop coming to church in layman's terms. But all the more as we see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The day of Jesus Christ, the day of Christ's return. All the more, all the more urgent. Yes, I gotta get to church, it's Sunday. I gotta get to prayer night because God's gonna be there. He promises to be there when we call on his name and don't stop meeting together. And, and I, I don't know, maybe you have these conversations, but uh, I've been seemingly having more and more of them with people that I meet, and it is this people saying, well, I love Jesus, I just don't love his church. And I say, pardon? He said, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. I'm like, that's impossible. You can't do that. I say, why? The church is the most precious thing to the sight of God in this world. So much so that Jesus Christ calls it his bride. That would be like someone coming up to me and saying, oh, I love you. I can't stand your wife. Listen, if you have a problem with my wife, you have a problem with me. So this whole idea of I can love Jesus and not love his church doesn't make sense. And that's not me talking. That's him talking. Because if we are to embrace Christ, it means embracing his church. It is. And the church isn't perfect. It's not perfect. I'm not perfect. If you don't know that by now, you probably will. But by God's grace, he's given the church as the instrument of sanctification through his Holy Spirit and the hope of this world. You shun that, you're shunning your chances for it. And so if you've been hurt by the church, as I have in the past, I say this, we need to get below, low before our Savior and say more of you and less of me and make right those relationships that have been strained and start moving forward in God's promised blessing of sanctification for our lives in his church. Do not give up on the church, loved ones. Do not give up on the church. Four things to get us started in pursuing Christ and to sustain us. Number one, through his word. Number two, through prayer. Number three, through the church. And lastly is this one. Number four, through repentance. Through repentance. James 4, 6 says, God um, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That word opposition there means he's actively working against pride. 
I don't want to be in that place, and neither do you. But he gives grace to the humble through repentance. There's so much freedom here. And a lot of us think, oh, if I humble myself and I repent of my sin, that's an uncomfortable place to be. Yeah, it is for a while, and it's hard to get there, but there's so much freedom in repentance. There's so much freedom in repentance, saying, Lord, all you, not me, whatever you want. The freedom we have in Jesus Christ is seen through repentance because that's what Christ came to give us. Freedom in him. And so many Christians, myself included, have fallen into the trap of thinking that pursuing the image of Christ in our lives is just a secondary thing or option. Like, I'll do it when I get around to it. It's not. And why? Why is that? This hit as I was prepping this week, there is nothing else worth living for because there's nothing else that will last. Everything else is going to pass away. You're going to lose your health. You're not even going to be married in heaven. Your money will be gone one day. Your status will be gone one day. There's nothing else that will last. So what are we embracing as our purpose for this life? What are we pursuing? And instead of pressing on with passion to make it our own, as Paul's talking about here, we become content with the mud pies of this world and our lives become characterized by apathy, complacency, passivity in our walk with Christ and we miss out on or minimize the very purpose for which we were created. To bring him glory. And yet, through the saving and sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ, God gave us what we don't deserve and has made a way for us to pursue him and be changed into his image through the supernatural strength that he promises to supply to see his good work brought to completion. That's a loving God. That's a loving God. Look at Philippians 1.6. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. And Paul says, I am sure. I don't have any doubt about this. I am sure of this, that he, Jesus Christ, who began a good work in you, will. There's the promise. Will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ when he comes back. You see, his supernatural work must come from working it out in his supernatural strength. We can't do it without him. We can't earn it. And we will fail every time trying to. And I don't know about you, but again, even in preparation for this this week, this should throw us desperately upon him in humility and dependence because the truth of the matter is, loved ones, and our flesh rails against this and it hates this truth, but apart from Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. It doesn't work without him. Because he's made it that way. When you embrace your purpose, you will stop pursuing the mud pies of this world and will pursue Christ's image. And as you begin to pursue his image, final point for today is this, you will prize Christ's presence. You will prize Christ's presence. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, Paul's like, I'm not there yet. I'm still struggling. It's still a battle. But one thing I do, there's the turn. But, love it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on 
toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See there where he says in verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Two key things in that statement. Did you catch them? Two key things. Number one is this. Paul says, I forget. I forget. One commentator puts it this way. Paul forgets as he runs. Oh, love it. Love it. He says, I forget. What's he forgetting? Forgetting what lies behind. Well, number one is this. Achievements. He's forgetting his achievements. Paul refuses to dwell on past successes and take glory for past achievements. Like, I did that. That was me. That was all me. Take glory for past achievements that he's had since becoming a follower of Christ because the temptation would be for him, as it is for you and me today, that in doing this, his dependency will now shift. If I start to take glory for my own achievements, I say, that was on me. My dependency starts to shift from being on the Lord. And where do I put it? On myself. On myself. I've done this before. I'm good. I'm good. I got the experience. I'm good. What do I need the Lord for? See, Paul knew that the sinful desires of his flesh, just like yours and mine today, would always put himself on the altar of glory instead of the Lord. That's where our flesh wants to put us. The altar of glory of our heart instead of the Lord. See, with in our flesh, just simple truth right here, in our flesh, pride always goes before humility. That's where our flesh goes every time. Pride, me before you, me before God, goes before humility. God before me, you before me. Simple truth. So that's the first thing he says to forget. Forget the achievements. Keep your dependency and humility and need upon the Lord. And the second thing he says to forget is past sins or failures. See, Paul knew that even though he had surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, he was still a sinner and had sinned or failed in the past since coming to Christ. He's not perfect. He's not perfect. But, but, just like with his successes, Paul refused to dwell on and be distracted by those past failures. Otherwise, they're going to debilitate his present and future pursuit. Sitting under the condemnation of past sin, the guilt of past sin. How many of us here this morning are sitting in that place? The condemnation, the guilt, the doubt, the worry, the fear, the anxiety, the hurt, the pain. But Paul, he says, I forget. Verse 13, I don't consider I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. But look what he also says to you. That's the first thing, forget achievements and past sins and failures. But number two, uh, move forward. He says, and straining forward to what lies ahead. Move forward. Don't just forget them. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Again, he uses the picture of a racer going flat out towards the finish line. Stretching and reaching out for what Christ has ahead of him without being distracted. See, and this hit me, this hit me, maybe this is true for you as well, but so many people, loved ones, do not move forward because they cannot let go of the past, whether in success or failure. They don't move forward because they can't let go of the past. If we don't let go of parts of our past, if we don't let them die, they won't let us live.
And how many of us here are being crippled in our pursuit of Christ because we're hanging on to either past successes that have deceived us into prideful thinking that our own strength and abilities are enough and we've lost our humility in and dependency on Christ. Careful, this happens so subtly. When's the last time we just asked, Lord, increase my need for you. Increase my dependency on you. Increase my humility before. Just take an evaluation. It's not under condemnation, but just ask. When's the last time we prayed that? That's one of the most freeing prayers you can pray, and God will take you up on it. But our pride doesn't want us to go there. Or how many of us are being crippled in our pursuit of Christ because we're hanging on to past sins or failures or hurts and sitting under condemnation from them? Like the fear of failing again. I can't step out in faith because the last time I tried to step out in faith, I got rocked. I got embarrassed. I got humiliated. I got hurt. I can't do that again. How can I do that? Or maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe... I've tried to pursue Christ. so It's so hard, I feel like I keep failing, so I'm not going to pick up my Bible again. Here, here, exhortation, pick it up. Pick it up. Don't just get in it, let it get in you. We're not dictating some every single, you have half an hour every single day for the next 30 days of your life. Listen, start with one moment. Because God can do more in five seconds than you or I can do in five lifetimes. Don't let the discouragement of, oh, I didn't pray as much. Move forward. Move forward. It's a new day in Christ. Move forward. And so sinful patterns, actions we've committed in our past, move forward. Romans 8.1 says it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in, saved by Jesus Christ. It is a new day in Christ, and you are a new creation, and you are who he says you are not what your sin tries to define you by or what this world says you have to be in Christ. You are who he says you are as a son or daughter of the king of kings and nothing can touch that. You start embracing that truth, you start walking in freedom. I love how A.W. Tozer said it this way. I read this over you before we close. Regret for a sinful past will remain until we truly believe that for us in Christ... That sinful past no longer exists. Did you get that? In Christ, that sinful past no longer exists. Old has gone, new has come. The man in Christ has only, has only Christ's past. And that is perfect and acceptable to God. And Jesus Christ came and died for you and I on that cross and paid the penalty for all of these sins that we've done in the past and even the ones that we will do in the future so that you and I no longer have to live with the condemning sting of regret or the prideful arrogance of self-dependence and can now, through faith in him, lastly, verse 14, 
press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal, what's the goal Paul's talking about here? The goal is Christ-likeness here on earth. That's the goal, to be as much like Jesus Christ as I can be through the power of the Holy Spirit, pursuing the image and presence of God with every ounce of strength the Lord provides. That's the goal, but look, what's the prize? What's the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? When the prize is when Christ would call Paul home to be united with him in his presence for glory in eternity. Because it, here's why this is the prize. This is why everything else is a mud pie. Because in that moment, when Paul is standing face to face with his creator, he would have the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest peace, and see face to face the greatest purpose for which he was created for. And he will hear the words, those words I so long to hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You finished the race. You kept the faith. See, the goal of Christ's likeness here on earth gave the picture of what was to come and the prize, the presence of Jesus Christ completes it. It completes it. There is no pursuit that could be greater and nothing else could even come close to this. I don't care what the world says. Nothing else comes close to this. Nothing. And there is a day coming very soon. Worship team, you may come up. There is a day coming very soon when Christ will call every believer home. Loved ones, I know they're walking up, but I want your eyes here for a moment. I exhort you, church, Harvest Ottawa, I exhort you with everything in me to live in light of that day. Live in light of that day. And let it fuel you not to live with apathy and complacency and the when I get around to Jesus bit or sit under the condemnation of sin, but with a God, living with a God-given humility, dependency, urgency, and passion to run, to run the race in the strength of Jesus Christ and embrace the only purpose which you and I were created for to pursue his image and prize his presence. There's our purpose right there. Run, loved ones, that you may obtain it. Let's pray. Father, we just pause for this moment right here. It's so easy just to go on to the next truth, the next song, the next thing. But Lord, this truth we just heard that you have inspired through your spirit. This changes everything about how we live as followers of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for those that have never made that decision to follow you and are wondering, what's my purpose, really? Is anything else going to last? I pray it be so clear to them, God all that you are calling to yourself, that, oh, today must be the day of their salvation. I pray for those who are weary in their faith or maybe sitting under condemnation or struggling with being in the word every day or, or living out various parts of the Christian life. Lord, I pray they would be renewed and refreshed with joy and encouragement and passion and fervency for their Savior. 
God, today, that we would collectively and individually continue to press on towards this goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We pray this in your name, Father. Amen.